You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Retired Army officer Melissa Stockwell is proud to wear the United States uniform. She did so as an Army officer, and after a roadside bomb in Iraq led to her left leg being amputated above the knee, she wore the red, white, and blue for Team USA. Not in one Paralympics, not in two, but in three. The world champion and Paralympic bronze medalist in paratriathlon continues to rack up accomplishments while also continuing to serve others. She co-founded Dare to Try, a Move United member organization based in Chicago and has launched a prosthetic company with her husband, Brian. Oh, and she's also written a book called The Power of Choice. So we chat with her about the book, and I encourage you to go out and get it. So, Melissa, thank you for being my guest today. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I always, uh, I love to start typically when uh, asking fellow veterans uh, what their what their why is. So wh- why did you <laughs> sign up and, and, and uh decide that you wanted to serve in the military? Great question. So my why is pretty short and sweet. Um, I realized at a young age, just kind of how lucky we are to live in the country that we do and always wanted to give back. So my why is really because I love our country. I wanted to give back to a country I felt had given us, gives us so much. Yeah, that that, that uh, to- totally makes sense. And I, I know you went in as an officer. So, so um, did you? Were you in an ROTC program, or how did you? How did you uh, go in on that side? Yep. So I did um, ROTC at the University of Colorado in Boulder, and then I was commissioned as a lieutenant um, the day I graduated in May of two thousand two. And and what were some of uh, uh, some of your duty assignments? Obviously, before uh, going over to to uh, overseas? So I was, um, I became part of the transportation corps, which basically meant that I was in charge of a whole bunch of vehicles, um, kind of doing convoys. So leading convoys from one point to the next, um, on the road a lot. And I was also a platoon leader. So my, I would say my main role was, was, was as a platoon leader. So I got to be in charge of, you know, 20, Men and women, a lot of them, you know, 18 years old out of high school and just joining the military. And um, I got to kind of lead them and kind of, you know, deal with what what they were doing, where they were kind of making sure that they were doing what they were supposed to do. And then in transportation, it was just a lot of, of vehicles. So kind of put in charge of millions of dollars worth of equipment, um, you know, right off the bat, which is a little daunting, but um, a challenge I was I was ready to, to take on. And so were you at? At Eustace? I went to, yep, OBC at Fort Eustis. And then my first duty assignment was Fort Hood, Texas. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. I was just down in the, in the Eustis area a couple of weeks ago. So were you assigned to a unit that that, that got shipped over or, yep. um, or was a whole unit shipped over? So um, I became part of the 1st Cavalry Division when I got to Fort Hood. And um, in early 2000, um, Four orders came down that the first cavalry division was going to deploy over to Iraq. So that obviously included uh, myself, and we did just that in early t- in, in March of two thousand four. 
were you active in in sports at that point in time or even earlier like in in high school or college yeah, so I was a big gymnast growing up. Gymnastics was, you know, my thing. I dreamt of going to the Olympics in gymnastics, um, but was always really an athlete growing up. Um, I was a swimmer, um, I, you know, a little soccer player when I was younger, but gymnastics was definitely my passion. So definitely always considered myself an athlete in college. I kind of jumped into um, crew on the rowing team. I did some diving um, it's always an athlete, not quite to the extent I am these days, but I'm um, always an athlete. And so how did you first get in, interested in the water? And, and uh, obviously with, with diving and, and crew, you had had some, some desire and interest in water. You know, I've always loved the water. I think, you know, as a young kid, we, um, I think most kids kind of, you know, are part of their neighborhood swim team or are they kind of, you know, obviously learning to swim is such a crucial skill, at least in my mind it is. And my kids, you know, they're young now, but it's, I'm adamant that they learn to swim just for, for safety measures. So always love the water. Um, I was on a swim team when I was younger, ultimately chose gymnastics over swimming, but then it, um, that love for the water definitely came back when, uh, after I'd lost my leg and obviously towards my first Paralympics. Yeah. My mom says that I first, I I learned to swim before I learned to walk and partly, (laughs) partly because my dad was stationed in the army as well. And, and we actually, so I spent a few years of my very early childhood in Hawaii, uh, because my, my dad was stationed at Schofield Barracks. And so we were, you know, on the beaches of Honolulu. Yeah. Uh, Well, that's extra important, right? A great place to, to learn and develop a love for, for water and and for swimming. So that's, water was always a big part of my life as well. And so, um, I know some people are familiar with with your story, but let's talk about obviously when when you uh, uh, ha- had the injury and uh, and obviously the IED explosion. Yeah, so I um I had been in Iraq for so I was deployed over to Iraq in March of two thousand four, and I like I mentioned I was you know in charge of a bunch of vehicles so did a lot of convoys, was on the road a lot, which is not the best place to be over there. And Mm -hmm. on April 13th of 2004, I was on a kind of like a routine convoy through central Baghdad. And the vehicle I was in was struck by a roadside bomb, which um, to make a long story short, resulted in the loss of my left leg above the knee, which is where I stand today. And, um, and I know that you celebrate your live day, every, uh, every, every year yes. I see some wonderful social media posts from, from you. So, uh, so what's, what does that day represent, you know, now, uh, gosh, almost what we're, we're not I too know. far away from 20 years, years right? Next year will be 18 years. I know it's crazy. So yeah. So every April 13th, um, you know, obviously it's a day that, I mean, changed my life and the day has actually become come to mean more to me than than my own birthday because it's kind of this you know celebration of of life and when I was at Walter Reed at the hospital um there was a lot of soldiers have what's called their alive day so basically every year on the day that they were injured instead of mourning what they lost they celebrate what they still have so I thought it was a pretty um genius idea and Took it one step further. I named what's left of my leg, little leg, because it's a leg that's um, little. And every year we um, celebrate. So when it's become this day of 
you know, a lot of times when, when we're not in the middle of COVID, um, family and friends fly in, we celebrate, we, you know, dance, there's party favors, there's a cake, kind of reflect on all of our lives. And just the, the hope is that it's, we're just, you know, reflect on how lucky we are to live the life that we do and just not take it for granted. Yeah. And I think, it, I think many of us take, take lots of things for granted, including, you know, what we have in general and in our life in general. So uh, I think even just when you, when you put out that messaging every year, I, I think it's a reminder, hopefully not only to yourself, but to, to many, many others. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And, and so obviously in 2004, when you, when you lost your leg, uh, 2004 to 2008 is uh, not a long period of time. So we're, um, I imagine you were introduced to some adaptive sports at Walter Reed, correct? Yep. Yep. And, and so is that where, I mean, where did you decide, you know, that, that, you know, this is not just part of my, this is not going to just be part of my rehabilitation, that this is something that I, that I, you know, want to pursue that I, that I desire, that I love. Um, so when I was at Walter Reed, I would just, you know, kind of lay in the hospital bed, kind of wondering what I would be able to do, you know, with my life. And the early questions are, could I walk? Could I run? And then it became, you know, could I still be an athlete again? And I was fortunate to encounter, um, there was a presentation put on at the hospital about the U.S. Paralympics. And I, at the time, knew, had no idea what they were. Um, but I went to this presentation and this gentleman stood in front of me and he he was like, if you train hard enough, dedicate yourself to a sport you can compete on the world's biggest athletic stage as someone with a disability and you know obviously as someone who had um uh you know dreamt of going to the olympics it was kind of like i had a second chance so pretty early on the dream was born of becoming a paralympian and um it was 2004 i knew there was going to be a 2008 beijing paralympics and decided that i wanted to give it a shot and see if i could make it happen and i know that um, you're big into the red, white, and blue. So wearing red, white, and blue again and representing the USA, uh, you know, in a different way is also part, I imagine, part of that equation as well. Definitely. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's like a same different uniform, obviously military uniform and Team USA athletic uniform, but still um, such similar meaning behind it, I feel like, um, you know, representing our country, defending our country, um, love of love of country. So yes, that was a big part of it for sure. And so after that presentation, obviously you were introduced to, you know, all these various different types of Paralympic sports. How did you settle on swimming? Swimming had this healing effect. So the water, you know, I got in the water initially at Walter Reed. They had a, they had a little pool there and I almost forgot, like I was, had lost my, my leg. It, it just had this healing effect. Um, so I, I always loved the water. It kind of, you know, reiterated the feeling when I got in and kind of felt whole again. I randomly loved the smell of chlorine. So that, that, were, that seemed to, you know, go in my favor as well. But it was just kind of a natural fit. Yeah, I know water is such a, you're absolutely right. And you, you hit the nail right on the head. It's just, just such a healing power and, and a, kind of an equalizer a little bit uh, as well yeah. so i think that's 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 awesome and, and so when you um and so how just how did you how did you go from i heard this presentation this is something i'm interested in and and how did you make those decisions and take those actions to really work towards 
um, ultimately your goal of being on the the Team USA. So when I left, yeah, I left that meeting knowing that, you know, somehow, some way I wanted to be a Paralympian. Um, first, I was medically retired from the Army. And then I set off, um, I went back to school in the field of prosthetics. And then I also knew that if I wanted to, you know, have any shot at going to Beijing, I had to kind of jump into things pretty quickly. So I joined my first swim team um, up in Minnesota. I was the only one without a leg, um, you know, swimming with people that had been swimming, you know, for years, but trying just to jump in and see if I could get any faster. Um, so joined my first swim team, um, started out, you know, initially at these Paralympic swimming meets, um, trying to figure out like, could I make this a reality? And then eventually ending up, ending up moving out to, um, Colorado Springs to the Olympic training center and living on campus there. So I could dedicate everything to trying to make the team, um, leading into trials in 2008. And, and obviously, obviously you did. And, uh, and, and so what was your, uh, thoughts at the time after, after making that first team? Oh, it was amazing. It was, you know, the whole journey, you know, I was a long shot to make the team. It worked out, um, a lot of hard work and, you know, sacrifice in there, but, to the, when I was named to the team, it was kind of like, you know, the whole journey from Baghdad and now I was going to go to Beijing and it just all kind of came, came together and, and made sense. Yeah. So Baghdad to Beijing, that's a, that's an interesting yes. uh, concept indeed. <laughs> and, and where did Dare to Try, uh, definitely want to talk about Dare to Try, a wonderful organization and, and member organization of Move United, but where did starting a nonprofit uh, come into play? So that was a few years later. So I swam in Beijing in 2008. Um, and then in 2009, I turned to the sport of triathlon, so swim, bike, and run, and kind of started on the national and international scene, um, competing you know, around the world. Paratriathlon was yet to be a Paralympic sport, um, but it, there were still world championships every year that I would train for. And then in 2010, um, I lived in Chicago at the time, and I met two, two friends, Carrie and Dan, who were also triathletes. Um, they are able-bodied. I had a disability, but all very passionate about the sport and thought, you know, this is sports can do so much for somebody, but especially somebody with a disability. So how about we start a nonprofit um, with triathlon and getting athletes with physical disabilities into the sport? So Dare to Try was born in 2011 um, with the idea to get athletes with physical disabilities into the sport, take away all the barriers, you know, the ability, the ability to provide the expensive adaptive equipment, um, you know, the coaching training. And we had a, a modest goal of getting 10 athletes to do a triathlon that first year. And um, 10 years later, we have served over a thousand athletes. We have pro year round programming um, for marquee camps every year. We've had athletes, you know, go to the Paralympic Games. So it has um, grown. It has gotten much bigger than I think any of us ever imagined, but it's, it's such a, it's, it's amazing. It's um, truly one of my proudest professional accomplishments. And I was, I was hoping you would say that because I, I, I wanted to, to settle on that for just a second because of the impact that, that, 
just starting a program and starting a, a, a local organization like that really has had on people. So, I mean, do you, how do you, how do you feel or what do you, what do you think about the impact that you've had uh, through, I mean, obviously a number of things that you've done in, in life, but specifically just starting uh, up this program in, called Dare to Try? You know, it's so I wouldn't be where I was today if it weren't for, you know, people, organizations that have believed in me and like truly helped me get to where I am. So if that, if we can help do that for somebody else, you know, if there's a little girl or boy out there and they've just, you know, lost, lost a limb, or maybe they have a spinal cord injury in a wheelchair and they aren't sure, you know, what they'll be able to do with, with their life. And somehow they we come across dare to try, or we, we find them. We're always doing outreach to try to find new athletes. If we can show them what they are capable of through the sport of triathlon, it's, it's sometimes it's about so much more than that, but showing, especially these youth athletes that when they cross the finish line, just how much they can do both on and off the race course. I mean, the self-confidence, the self-worth, I mean, you see it in their families as well. So being, being able to give back in that way is, um, is pretty incredible. And I know we kind of jumped it a little bit, but but I wanted to wanted to go back to maybe uh, asking you why you made the decision and after the 2008 games to switch from swimming to take on two additional sports in addition to swimming. Yeah, um, that's funny. I get asked that question a lot. Um, the, the challenge of it, you know, I obviously was a swimmer. Um, I was invited to do a triathlon by a group called the Challenge Athletes Foundation based out of California in 2009. Did it, kind of just fell in love with it. I love the challenge of all three, um, you know, being on the same course as able-bodied athletes. I just, I, I loved it. I just uh, was, was, was hooked from the start. <laughs> and it's obviously a, a lot. And, and so, um, and the fact that it became a Paralympic sport in 2016, uh, obviously, uh, you were part of a, a wonderful sweep of the podium. Um, yes. And uh, and I know you've shared that story before, but but what was it like, uh, you know, being being on the podium with two good friends and teammates? Definitely, will go down as one of the greatest moments of my life. I mean, I think obviously the whole journey to get there. Um, you know, I'd had my son and kind of getting back into that peak athletic shape to be there. And then, you know, it was on September 11th. Um, you know, I had been a long shot to make the team and I was there and uh, a USA sweep and three American flags going up. Yeah, I mean, really one of the greatest moments of my life. I mean, I still get chills when I think about it. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. And and then, of course, we just uh, you just came back from from Tokyo, and I know before Tokyo you were um, uh, had, dealing with some injuries. Um, but but uh, you know, overall, how did you feel um, your your uh, experience and and your performance was in Tokyo? You know, so my expectations changed a little bit um, eight weeks before. Tokyo, um, I got into a bike crash, ended up, you know, fracturing my back in three places. Um, definitely not something you really ever want to do, but especially not uh, weeks before this huge athletic event that you've been training for for five years. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I the, the, the doctors kept telling me it was the best place to break back. I didn't have to have surgery. I just needed to rest, which is definitely not something I wanted to do. Um, but I kind of made a choice. It, I think life is all about choices. So 
made a choice to, I mean, it could have been so much worse. Um, I mean, I hit a tree. People die from that. They, I didn't, I could have got a spinal cord injury. Um, I mean, there's a head injury. I mean, there's so many other things that could have happened. So choosing just to be thankful that I could still be on the starting line in Tokyo, um, you know, I, I still doing whatever I could to try to make it to the podium. Um, but knowing, I mean, I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't really run for, for two months. So knowing that that would be a challenge going into it and just choosing just to be really happy to be, um, in the moment and really happy just to, you know, have a smile on my face and just do the best I could do. So I'm really proud of it. I'm proud I was there. I'm proud I raced and competed and, you know, coming down the finish line, you know, people saw me and I think they thought I might've won the race because I was just so happy to be there. So looking back, it was, um, you know, I was, I, I can probably guarantee you I was the happiest fifth place finisher in Tokyo. <laughs> and, and that's Melissa, a perfect segue because you talked about choice. Um, you have put out a book called the power of choice, which I, I love not only the title of the book, but, but what it, it stands for. Um, and I want to unpack it, unpack the book a little bit. First of all, why did you write the book? So I do a lot of speaking. So I do a lot of motivational speaking um, around the nation. And my favorite part about it is when people come up after I speak and they say, you know, you just motivated me to go do blank, you know, whatever it is, maybe something that they put off doing, you know, for, for many, many years. And so the hope is that, you know, reaching more people, writing a book and realizing that we all have the power of choice to choose and live our lives how we want to. And the hope is that when you're done reading it, you know, that you put it down and you think about how you have, like, we all have the choice to live the, the, the life that we want to live. So there's the hope that, they would, that the story would kind of reach more people, maybe resonate more, and that more people would realize how much they're capable of. A lot of times we don't realize how much we're capable of, and we just need that little extra nudge. Yeah, yeah. And, and how have you, I'm assuming you've received some great feedback on the book in terms of how, how it's been received as well. Yeah, I have. And, you know, I, you obviously that was my first time um, writing a book. Um, The process was a little bit more than I thought it it was going to be, but to see it in in print, um, you know, yes, the feedback has been, has been great, um, which is, I think the goal of anyone writing a book is to have people actually enjoy reading it. And, you know, the, the, the goal of, inspiring and motivating people um it seems to be working so yes it's good and and where in in your life has the power of choice uh been you know so so um i guess strong as, as not the right word but just kind of where it resonated with you in terms of where you had a choice and the choice that you made I think almost, I feel like it's almost daily, but, um, you know, I mean, even when we wake up every morning, we can choose to have the day we want to have and things come our way that we don't expect. Um, obviously COVID was one of those, um, losing a leg, obviously you never expect that, but after losing, uh, after, after losing my leg, I mean, the choice to accept it and realize that I was, you know, I had no choice. I was going to live my life, um, how I wanted to live it with, with one leg. And that choice kind of propelled me into a life that I never could have imagined. So that's obviously the big, the the biggest example, but it's, you know, thing, I mean, I broke my back eight weeks before the the games I could have given up. I could have said, you know what, I'm not even going to go, but you know, making that choice to 
you know, expectations change a little bit, but just to be proud and just be in the moment instead. So those choices are all around us. I mean, they, it's the little things every day. I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing how many choices we have during the day. And kind of this juxtaposition between choice and expectations. I know, I know as a, as even as a military officer or as an athlete, elite athlete, um, you know, how do you, um, if you have expectations and, and for some other reason, either beyond your control or, or, or whatever that you can't meet those expectations, how does, how does choice and in, in the way you choose to handle it or deal with it? Um, um, how do you, how do you handle that? I think a lot of it's perspective. Uh, you know, we, and we, I have bad, we all have bad days. We have bad days. You have bad moments. You have, uh, I mean, we all have them. We're all human. But when those moments happen to think about, you know, there's someone around the world that would love to have our bad days. And we're just very lucky to, you know, live, live the lives that, that, that we do. So I think perspective, uh, you know, like personally is thinking about how much, I mean, I, I lost a leg. I mean, but I could have, I, I could have died, you know, I, I broke my back, but I could have, you know, been paralyzed. So there's I, I'm putting it, putting things in perspective um, is, is key and perspective is really all around us. And so besides the book, which is out and people, I hope people will go out and, and pick it up and, and read it uh, and buy it if they haven't already. Um, since we are, post Tokyo, what are, I know that you and your husband um, are involved with a prosthetic company. So besides, you know, let's talk about that, but then anything else that you might be into um, right currently? So, yes. Um, so right before the pandemic hit, um, and my husband, Brian, and I decided to open our own prosthetic company. So I went back to school for prosthetics. I think I mentioned that earlier briefly. That's actually how I met my husband, Um and we decided that, you know, we moved up to Colorado Springs so I could train at the Olympic Training Center. And we w- decided to open our own prosthetic company. So we did that. Um, it's called Tolzma Stockwell Prosthetics. Um, that's his last name, my last name, obviously. And I mean, it's scary and, you know, daunting to open a business, but we did. And it's been um, a year and a half and we are a thriving business, you know, fitting high-level athletes, um, pediatrics, kind of everyone in between. So really, really proud about that. And then, yeah, it's been two months since Tokyo and I don't know, I get asked what's next a lot. And I think I need a, I, I need a, a little bit more time before I kind of figure that out. I'm enjoying currently, you know, not being so dedicated to training, running when I want, hiking with the dog, you know, doing that kind of thing. Um, you know, I coached my son's little cross country first grade team at school. <laughs> so kind of doing things like that and then deciding, um, my guess by the end of the year, kind of what, what the next couple of years will, will look like. Yeah, I was, I was uh, trying to avoid asking you that question. Cause I think it's well, too, <laughs> er, too early, right? It's like, you know, I appreciate I, it. It's, it's amazing <laughs> how quickly, yeah. Um, how quickly, yeah. The day after Tokyo. So what's next Paris next? I'm like, I, I, you know, I still need to talk. I still need to wait and see. Yeah. I, I, right. I still love athletics. Um, I imagine I'll always be an athlete of some sort. I just need to decide at what level. It's a lot of a lot of time and sacrifice, especially with two young kids. Um, so yeah, so we'll we'll see. And and so um, with with your prosthetic company, do you have a, a traditional uh, like facility or place? And do I mean how do you how do you find how do how do you find patients or how do patients find you? 
yeah, so we we have a, our an independent office. Um, you know, very uh, you know, patient first, very comfortable. It's um, I enjoy I enjoy it there. It's a good place to work out of. Um, a lot of initially it was a lot of word of mouth. Um, with with the pandemic, we couldn't go in and market ourselves to doctors and therapy places as we normally would have. So a lot of word of mouth. Um, my Brian, my my husband. Um, cold called a lot of therapy companies just to let them know that we were in town. Um, we have gone in to do a few in-services now that not that COVID is over by any means, but has, you know, gotten a little bit better, I guess. Um, so yeah, we've found a way to find enough patients. The therapy clinics are probably the best, the best, um, the best place to, to get new patients. I, I guess I should say, um, is opening a business is is scary. You mentioned that, and and so how how do you think sports has ha, have equipped you, um, not only personally but even like just maybe from a now from an entrepreneurial or business lens. I think it's, sports has uh, sports has taught me so much. I mean, about myself, about life in general, about the importance of a team and being a good teammate. I mean, I am such an advocate for sport. And I think in a business, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's sport, you don't just wake up one day and be like, I'm going to go to the Paralympics. And then it happens. Like you have to put in the work, you have to, you know, make it happen. So I think starting a business, knowing that success doesn't happen overnight, you have to, um, you know, it's, it's a daily grind. You have to work at it. And when we first opened, I was busy training for Tokyo and a lot of that fell on my husband and he's done a phenomenal job at it. And, um, it's just, it's just, really rewarding to have your own business that you've kind of built from the ground up and have success with it. Yeah. And I think, um, as, as you mentioned, the power of sport in terms of just what we gain by participation, by participating in it, it can be an ends, but it also is a means for many, many of us. Well, yeah, definitely. Uh, how do people kind of, I know that you're involved in some social or on some social platforms. How do, how do people kind of just connect with you or follow you if they want to learn more? Um, so I have a website, just melissastockwell.com, but, um, yeah, better, probably better than that is, uh, social media because we live in the social media world. Um, so Instagram, just M Stockwell zero one and Twitter is the same. And then just Melissa Stockwell USA on, on Facebook. And yeah, I get, give some decent snapshots of day-to-day life and being a mom and an athlete and everything in between. <laughs> 